Welcome to the Geneva Center for Security Policy Podcast. I'm Ashley Mueller. This week's episode explores some of the latest global issues affecting peace, security, and international cooperation. Ambassador Yvette Stevens is the former ambassador and permanent representative of Sierra Leone to the United Nations office at Geneva. And she is a current executive in resident with the GCSP's Global Fellowship Initiative. We discuss sustainable peace and the prevention of human rights violations. Ambassador Stevens, thank you very much for joining us here today. A pleasure here too. You are the former ambassador and permanent representative to Sierra Leone at the United Nations office in Geneva. You have a long and broad experience with the United Nations system, and you are an engineer by training. Today, you are an executive in residence with the GCSP's Global Fellowship Initiative. On the 6th of July in 2018, the United Nations Human Rights Council adopted Resolution 3818 on the contribution of the Human Rights Council to the prevention of human rights violations. You were appointed as Chair Rapporteur in October 2018. Ambassador, my first question to you is, can you please explain the work that you have done in passing this report for the United Nations Human Rights Council? Yes, the report that we presented um, was as a result of consultations, widespread consultations, and it is to look at how the Human Rights Council can enhance its role in preventing human rights violations. Sayerlin joined the Human Rights Council in 2013, and because of its experience, as you would recall that Sayerlin fought an 11-year war, which ended in 2001, and Yunnan Seal had a, had a human rights component which play, played a major role in, in, in resolving the conflict in the first place and in also avoiding the country relapsing back into conflict. So we in Sayerlin very much appreciate the role that human rights um, um, played, attention to human rights played in our own specific situation. This was why in 2015, at the high-level segment, in the statement that Sayerlin made, it specifically requested the Human Rights Council to see how it could enhance its role on prevention and, um, and, and, and look at how its mechanism could do that, as see, uh, bearing in mind that human rights violations are usually the main causes of conflict, that countries slowly move into conflict. So um, in that same year, 2015, there are other three countries that were also interested in the subject. This was Switzerland, Norway, Colombia. So we teamed up to form a core group on um, prevention of, um, of, of human rights violations, the role of the Human Rights Council in preventing human rights violations. For two sessions of the Human Rights Council, we made statements. And then there was a decision was taken to say that we, we had to have some people really examine the role that the Human Rights Council is playing and also to recommend to the council how it could enhance its role in preventing human rights violations. Now, and the resolution, because usually the way it's done is that the group, core group, would present a resolution to a session of the council. There would be consultations um, in between the, 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 um, the, the, during the session of the council, there'll be informal consultations with different groups. I think for each resolution, you are supposed to have at least 
two informal consultations with members of the, uh, not only members of the Human Rights Council, but with those who participate in the, in the Human Rights Council. Then the resolution is presented at the council and if it's not a, a consensus resolution, voting is done and then the, the resolution is adopted. So this particular resolution that came to the council was precisely one, to look at how the Human Rights Council can enhance its goal in, in preventing human rights violations. Two, how the, how the um, Human Rights Council can work with the other pillars of the UN, meaning peace and development, peace and security and development in order to address its goal in preventing human rights violations. And the third is to look at sources of funding for the four prevention activities of the council. So this was how the resolution, was what the resolution covered. We were three um, rapporteurs. I was the chief rapporteur, but we also had two rapporteurs, um, Pablo de Greff and Niels Musnik, who with whom I worked to be able to, first of all, have two sessions, consultation sessions, with members and observers and all the stakeholders of the Human Rights Council here in Geneva. We went to New York and had consultations with all the other organs of the Peace and Security, the Security Council members, the um, um, Peace Building Commission members, and also with the Secretary General himself and ECOSOC. And then, so this report brings together all what we got from these consultations. And the report was presented at the 43rd session in March to the Human Rights Council. What particularly inspired you to pursue this? Yes, but as I said before, because of the experience of Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone was involved in an 11-year war. And because of what we gained, we gained from paying attention to human rights. I thought I was personally interested in trying to say this is an example that should be replicated. And in fact, it's not only that Sierra Leone can say, it's not only that it should be replicated by other countries, even for Sierra Leone, because what happens in many of these countries, once you change a government, things change again. So this is a repeated process that needs to be done. But the, in, in the council itself, we, I believe, had a role to prevent rather than what it sounds like now, that they wait until everything is wrong, then they, then they bring a country um, to the council, and the country considers it's a naming and shaming. Why don't we look at preventing the human rights violations before they occur? In which case, we can work with member states, we can work with member states of the United Nations to add help them to address this human rights situation before they, before they deteriorate into a situation where conflict becomes inevitable. So how do resolutions get created, passed, and implemented? You mentioned consultation, but how long does that take? For the listeners who are listening today, can you break it down for them? Well, within a session, you know, the Human Rights Council has um, um, three sessions a year, but between, within a particular session, um, this can be done. The work goes before the session, the human rights session itself starts. And it will depend on the core group because the core group draws up the resolution and drawing up the resolution again, sometimes it benefits again if you can do enough consultations ahead to see how the members of the council and the observers all view this, get inputs from everybody, get inputs from the, uh, from the office of the, human, of the High Commissioner for Human Rights 
And once you draft a resolution, when a session starts, there is usually a deadline within the session, I think two weeks into the session, when all draft resolutions should be submitted. Now, before you submit it, you have to come out and say, yes, there has been informal consultations. So you have, we have sessions of informal consultations where we listen to the, the, the core group of the resolution, listens to other member states, listen to observer states, and listen to NGOs too that play an important role in the Human Rights Council. And so whatever they present to the council would have taken into account what inputs they have gotten. It's not always possible to take all the inputs because sometimes you have a resolution that you are so uh, uh, pleased with and you feel it's addressing it and some of the suggestions and recommendations which you get through the consultation would completely wipe out what you want to achieve by the resolution. Therefore, it's come to a compromise. And then once this is done, the, the core group launches the resolution and during, at the end of the session, the Human Rights Council then votes and considers all the resolutions that have been submitted. And for some, it's passed by consensus, by others, they have to vote. And the, in, the, in the Human Rights Council, the resolution is carried if it has a majority of votes in its favor. You referred to the importance of the recommendations and conclusions drawn in the reports. Um, what were the four conclusions that were drawn in your specific report? The first conclusion relates to how prevention is viewed. The council, whilst the council has a lot of mechanisms which address um, 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 human rights issues, we saw that there, was, there had to be a conscious um, policy on addressing prevention and how prevention would be incorporated into the work of the different mechanisms of the council. So it's um, some, of the, some of the special um, um, rapporteur will tell you, yes, we, uh, this is what we do, prevention, but we believe that it has to be upfront so that when a special rapporteur goes to a country, it's viewing how it can help prevent in these abuses rather than going there to act as a policeman to say, you are doing this wrong, you are doing this wrong. So actually a proactive approach to addressing prevention. That is the first conclusion. The second one is that there is a need to enhance the implementation of human rights recommendations. The council itself has a, a, a peer review process, which is called the Universal Periodic Review. Every country, every UN state has to face that review. And once they come to that review, so it means that every three or four years, every country comes in front of the, of the, of the, of the Human Rights Council in, in, in the session in, 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 to address um, um, human rights in that particular country. Now, this review is, is, is good in that, first of all, everybody comes to, to the to, 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 is considered. So that countries do not say, why did you pick on me? Why didn't you pick on another country? So everybody's there. And everybody is free to make recommendations to the country under review. So, and what happens is that the country has a number of recommendations. Usually people think it's excessive, but I believe that usually when you look at those recommendations, some of them could be brought together. But what the recommendations reflect, actually, is what are the human rights concerns in a particular country which need to be addressed. So by the time the country has all these recommendations, it has a catalog 
of the human rights issues that require attention. And um, even though the country can say, okay, I accept this resolution, the country cannot, cannot reject a, a, a recommendation. It can only say, uh, uh, being considered. So during that, a country then accepts the recommendations, and even after it accepts it, there's no question of saying that this is against my sovereignty because they would have accept, accepted it. But then the recommendations are not implemented. So this whole process, especially for countries that really do not have the means to implement the recommendations. At present, the way the council acts is that, you know, you come, you have your resolution and recommendations, you go away for three or four years later, you come. And they said, yeah, but this recommendation, you accepted it, but you haven't implemented it. And for some countries, especially like mine, some of the recommendations which are accepted require to have technical assistance and capacity building to, um, uh, to implement. So even though you come, the country, come, the country uh, comes back when they're accepting it to say, we have accepted this recommendation, but we need assistance to implement ABCD. Nothing happens because the fund that the Office of the, of the, of the High Commissioner for Human Rights has at its disposal is really limited. I know personally because when Sierra Leone uh, faced the, the committee, we, I wrote a letter to the, to the Office of the High Commissioner to say, we have agreed on these recommendations. Could we please have some assistance in implementing them? And this was not forthcoming. So my own idea is that the council itself should not only concern itself with these recommendations, but to go a bit further and see how our countries cope Of course, they won't go to a country if the country doesn't ask for assistance, because many countries do not need assistance. But this assistance does not only have to be in terms of money, in terms of dollars and cents. It could also be matchmaking, because some countries, some countries from the developed world, for instance, they have, they come, they have certain um, 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 human rights issues that they like, that they, they champion. And um, if, if a country like Sierra says now, really, I want to do this, but I do not have the means, the Human Rights Council should find a means whereby this partnership could take place. It could also, also be sharing of experiences, you know, or it could also be pointing in the direction where the country can find the assistance it requires. For instance, the economic and social rights, which is basically what you see for development. It comes from, the, from funds from different countries. If a country is looking at env environmental issues, which after a recommendation by the council, then if it doesn't have the money to implement it, then environmental funds that are around, but um, which they could which they could benefit from. But all the, the points we're trying to make here is that the council itself needs to concern itself with the implementation. And this has not been done so far. The country goes with recommendations, come back three years later, they haven't implemented it, and, and, and that's not, not a good thing. So that's the second conclusion we came to. The third one is the enhancement of the early warning and early action. Now, what happens is that the Human Rights Council itself um, has a mechanism which, is, which kicks off when already things are going wrong. Um, a country, uh, I think a number of countries have to sign up to have a special session on the country. But the special session by then, we, we argue that by then it is too late, right? So what happens when all the warning signs keep coming up?
you know, we have the NGOs, you have um, 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 different civil society groups, you have Amnesty International, you know, there are so many that come up and say, look, something is going wrong, something is not quite right here. And, um, but the Human Rights Council itself doesn't act on that. And um, so it waits, as I said, the special session is the first thing. So we believe that there should be something, some, first of all, um, a capacity to analyze all the raw information that comes in, because you can't take all, of, uh, all information that comes in. Nowadays, you get some that are funny. So, so um, the, human, the human rights, um, the, the Office of the High Commissioner should have an enhanced capacity to analyze the information and then make its recommendation to the council. Now, when the council gets it, it should actually look at, you know, um, what should be done before these things really explode. It could have tried to have confidential sessions with the country concerned. It could try to also propose um, um, goodwill missions, I mean, um, um, to the country to discuss with the government when things have not really gone out of hand. And we know that that works, this confidential um, sort of discussion with the government, because there is a, 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 a complaints mechanism of the council which takes complaints from individuals, which when it does summon the country in confidentiality, they get a lot of cooperation from the country. And many a time, the country has gone and addressed that situation that is brewing. So we believe that the council itself, you know, for some of these things that are really coming out, should be able to take action. This is not to say that they're going to resolve everything through this, because um, 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 some countries, you know, there are some situations where it will not change. But at least we would have looked at this, what we would call the primary prevention before it becomes, before the special session. Because once they have the special session, they determine whether or not to have a commission of inquiry, to have a special rapporteur, but by then, the country has its back against the world because they say, oh, you're naming and shaming us. And then it's not so easy for these um, uh, uh, mechanisms to work. Although you can say also they collect evidence that could be used later. But if you are talking about prevention, our own uh, argument is that why don't we try to prevent it if we can before it gets to that point? Now, the so that leads to the, the, the what I mean, what we mean by upstream prevention, which is the fourth conclusion, that we need to give more attention to upstream prevention, what we call upstream prevention, meaning preventing the human rights uh, violations before they occur in the first place. So those are the main conclusions that we had from there. So then what was the difference between the conclusions and the recommendations that you have made? Well, the, the recommendations just address these conclusions. Uh, for instance, we have, I'll just give you the main recommendation. The one recommendation we had is that each, each of the mechanisms, each, each of the special rapporteur should look at their terms of reference again and see how elements of prevention can be included. And also that when the council is setting up new special procedures, they make sure that prevention is put in the terms of reference. Um, that's the first one. The second one is um, to have what we would call um, a, a human rights recommendation implementation facility, 
which would cover all what I had said. It would have a visa funding to assist countries. It would do matchmaking. It would do bring out experiences. It would also direct uh, states to where they can get the assistance they require to implement a given recommendation. Then um, the, we also have a recommendation, we have recommendations relating to how the Human Rights Council can work more closely with the Security Council. That is a bit sensitive because there are certain states believe that these two bodies should be kept separate. Don't ask me why. <laughs> and, um, and, and, oh, but we do see there are ways in which the cooperation could be better through the special procedures, mandate of the Human Rights Council, briefing the Security Council, having a bit more close interaction. We also see how the Human Rights Council can work with ECOSOC in um, looking at the implementations of the Sustainable Development Goals. There are specific recommendations as how human rights issues could be brought in at this country level, which is where all these things are done, and how this could then be these recommendations that I told you about could also be incorporated in this new system that the Secretary General is setting up at the country level, the resident coordinator system, which is now being revised to include a human rights component. And um, so um, then uh, the last recommendation, again, is, is recommendations relating to how the Human Rights Council can work with regional and sub-regional human rights organizations in Europe, in Africa, in all the, in all the different continents of the world. So um, these were the major recommendations which emerged from the conclusions which we, came at, which we made. You've mentioned a few times about how the Office of the United Nations High Commission for Human Rights could possibly do more to defend human rights. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to that? No, I think I think the to be honest, the the limitations that the OHCH has is mainly due to due to financing, because even though the UN says talks about three pillars, human rights is one of the three pillars. I some people say the third pillar. I refuse to say third pillar because I already <laughs> designated to uh, a least important part of it. Okay, so. Human rights is one of the three pillars, but when it comes to financing, the funding, the human rights do not get much, even of the, of, the, of the regular budget of the UN. It's a tiny percent, which is single figure percentage. That's what human rights is dedicated to human rights. And, the, and ever so often during the course of the year, of course, the whole of the UN is suffering when funds are not, when funds are not forthcoming. But... During the course of the year, the OSH also face, faces further reduction in whatever funding they're getting from the UN. So they are really restrained by that. The willingness to do more is there, and that you cannot dispute. And, um, and the, the office is doing a great job. Only, they can only assist the countries if they have the means to do so. And finally, what would you like to leave us with before we finish the interview? Any final words, messages before we sign off? The final word I have is to say that a great deal, a great deal more of international attention has to be focused on human rights. Because when we talk about prevention, we are only thinking about the last stage how to prevent conflict. But if you do not start from the very beginning to address the human rights issues, then 
Um, by the time it comes to the point where we think now prevention should be done, we can go in when there is a conflict and try to prevent further abuses of human rights. But wouldn't it be better if we could do it before? Thank you, Ambassador. That's all we have now for today's episode. Thank you to Ambassador Yvette Stevens for joining us. Listen to us again next week to hear all of the latest insights on international peace and security. And don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple iTunes, follow us on Spotify and SoundCloud. Until next time, bye for now.